Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, fallout from the Norman case. While I'm relieved to be exonerated of any wrongdoing, I am disappointed it has taken this long. Who's going to be held accountable now that the long case against Vice Admiral Mark Norman suddenly collapsed? Will there be an apology, a lawsuit, or both? What happens now? The Defence Minister, Harjit Sajjan, joins us to find out. And then, missile defence? I will build on the Canada-U.S. tradition of joint military partnerships by starting talks with the Americans to join the, the Ballistic Missile Defense Program. Should Canada let the U.S. put a ballistic missile defense system in Canada? Conservative leader Andrew Scheer joins us to talk about his new foreign policy ideas. And then, church versus state. This debate has to be done respectfully, and we have to be careful about any kind of violence. Is Quebec's controversial new bill stripping government workers of the right to wear religious symbols a form of discrimination? The Quebec immigration minister joins us to mount a defense for the secular state. All that, plus the former head of Canada's spy agency, CSIS, joins us to weigh in on the growing tension between Canada and China. Should Canada take a harder line? This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. The alarming and protracted bias of perceived guilt across the senior levels of government has been quite damaging. And the emotional and financial impacts of this entire ordeal have taken their toll. After more than two years, the case against Vice Admiral Mark Norman suddenly, mysteriously collapsed. Federal prosecutors admitted new evidence emerged, forcing them to stay the one charge of breach of trust for allegedly leaking cabinet confidential documents about a shipbuilding contract. Then the government said it would cover Norman's legal expenses, something it initially refused to do. But why was Mark Norman so unceremoniously dragged under the ship, keelhauled as it were, Will the government now apologize and who's accountable for a process that almost destroyed a man's reputation? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Defence Minister, Harjit Sajjan. Great to have you on the program, sir. Thank you for having uh, me The again. first big question, will you or the Prime Minister be issuing an apology to Vice Admiral Mark Norman? You know what, I, I mean, I respect uh, Vice Admiral Norman's uh, service to his country as I respect the service of the country of uh, all the women and men of our, of our Canadian Armed Forces. And in this case here, um, uh, we've uh, you know, gone through uh, a, a process, and now General Vance uh, will be meeting with uh, Admiral Normal to talk about the next steps. But why not an apology? There's a government that's apologized on multiple levels to multiple people. Uh, why not Vice Admiral Mark Norman? His career, his life, his finances almost ruined his reputation in tatters. Uh, it all, the, the charge now stayed. And why is it so difficult to say we're sorry? It's very important to give the space now to making sure that to respect not only his service, we respect the actual independence of the process to uh, now to allow General Vance to have the opportunity to have this discussion as his immediate supervisor. In January of 2017, when Mark Norman was suspended, he was never given a chance to have a hearing. He was never given a chance to hear his side of the story. He was simply suspended, and at that moment, his life and his reputation was damaged. Why then, and you know the old adage in conflict, in, when it comes to 
Conflict and casualties. The first report's always wrong. It's a military adage that you know. Why did you not give him a chance to speak? Why was there not a questioning of that report before he was suspended? Evan, when it comes to our process here, when investigations start, our judicial process, you need to make sure they have the right independence. Um, and that's exactly what has happened here. When it comes to also the management of the Canadian Armed Forces, the best way to respect this is respect the actual process. And that's exactly what has happened. No, Plus, no, sorry, sorry, but, but, but Evan, on, but just, but, I just, I don't want to accept the fact there was no process for him. He was suspended based on one allegation and he never got a hearing. Why is the Minister of Defense, did you not say to General Vance, before you suspend the second most powerful military person in the country, I would like to hear his side. Why did you accept that? Evan, when an investigation starts, you have to, have to be completely independent of it. That is how our system works. When an investigation starts, a decision had to be made. General Vance made that decision, which I agreed with. And now the judicial process has to be independent. That's how we give trust but sir, but into sir, our sir, system. With, but all no, due, with all due respect, but Minister, all due, but if, that was, Evan, if there was a presumption of innocence, Evan, sir, with all due respect, to making sure how we respect somebody, regardless of uh, position, regardless of rank, is to making sure that the process is completely independent. And based on an investigation that was starting, a decision had to be made. General Vance made the decision. We do have an institution, uh, institution uh, to run at this time. And listen, and because of the independence of the process, because of how it's been done, a decision has been made. Now. But hold on, because but hold the situation on. But, but, has changed. With all due respect, that may be true, but you had clearly made an assumption of guilt. Otherwise, you would have paid for his legal fees. So let me focus on that. You had to sign off on that. General Vance had to sign off on that. Eventually, you reversed it after bringing this guy close to financial ruin. Why did you not pay for his legal defense? That, If there's a presumption of innocence, he should be entitled to defend himself. So at that time, the, deputy, the former deputy minister believed that the criteria they, they were not met. And now, um, because the criteria had changed, the criteria were met, the deputy minister has given the advice, and I have authorized um, the, the uh, reimbursement um, of the So was the that a fees. mistake not to pay? He's now been reinstated. He had every right, like, like retired Lieutenant General Leslie, who was going to testify on behalf of Mark Norman if he was called, he was going to get his legal bills paid for. Everybody else did, not Norman. And I think that's the question. During the process, were you concerned when you heard uh, from witnesses that they were not taking notes? General Vance meets with the Prime Minister, takes no notes. Were you concerned about the fact that there's a culture where they use code names for General Norman so they wouldn't be searched? Quote, not our first rodeo. Clearly a culture of cover-up. Were you concerned that they were not releasing the documents for General Norman in the spirit of transparency and fairness? Uh, for Vice Admiral Norman, when were you concerned about that? When it comes to uh, um, it, it, when it comes to, like I said, the investigation and the judicial process, one, um, the information that we uh, needed to provide has has ha uh, was was provided. When it comes to some of the questions that you asked, they were answered also uh, in court. It is very important when something as serious as this that you allow the process to take its course. It has. And now that the that, uh, decision um, circumstances had changed, this has allowed for the criteria uh, to be met so that the legal fees can, can be reimbursed. It sounds good, but it took uh, driving Admiral, Vice Admiral Norman basically down a gravel road. It was his lawyers 
at expense of more than at least a half million dollars that proved that there were documents being withheld. Mm -hmm. It was his lawyers that made sure this happened. And finally, I don't know what triggered the idea that he gets his legal fees paid for, but now that you know all this, now that you've seen that Jason Kenney, then the defense minister, said, no one talked to me, I would have told them there was no problem. Peter McKay, no one talked to me. Mm -hmm. There were documents withheld. All this information happened. Do you still have confidence in General Vance and the military system that has run all this, that has, on this case, made mistakes from day one on Vice Admiral Norman? Do you still have confidence with the Chief of the Defense Staff? I can't talk about the system of how it was before. Obviously, you can have to talk to the former defense ministers about that. Of course, I have confidence uh, in, in, in General Vance uh, to the command uh, the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, decisions were made based on the information um, at that time. But one thing I can tell you, one thing that we're focused on, both Deputy Minister, Chief of Defense Staff, and myself, is to making sure that we deliver for the women and men of the Canadian Armed Forces, to making sure that they actually have the proper re resources uh, to, to do so. That is the number one uh, aim uh, for us. Because but who has confidence if he didn't stand up for Vice Admiral Norman? That will be a question. Who's accountable? Just, just tell me who then inside the military is accountable. Is the, is the, is the Deputy Minister accountable? Is General Vance accountable? Who is accountable? for almost destroying Mark Norman's reputation. Who is accountable for all these decisions? One, as evident, when a situation like this occurs, it is very important. Do you want to respect someone's, in this case, in service to making sure to allow the process to take its course. But the, the process in, is, is under investigation. This, you I keep saying that, but you Evan, and I both know the problem in the end is the process looks badly uh, executed. Evan, I can't, Evan, and unfairly executed. But here's we can only, based on this, we cannot interfere with an investigation, right? We cannot interfere with the, with the judicial process. We can only get involved when the circumstances, because the circumstances change, right. it allows us to re-engage. And imagine this, just, right. just you, you, if, if you were, were to, right, to respect someone when somebody uh, when has to go through a long process like this, right. you have to be independent to allow but, but to sir, take its but, but sir, this is what I'm concerned with your role, and I know I've just got a very mm -hmm. short amount of time with you. The Prime Minister on at least two occasions publicly stated that this matter would be before the court, mm -hmm. before it was before the court. Many people believe that that prejudiced, prejudiced the case against him. Mm -hmm. Then the, all those things that you and I have gone over, and there's many, many more. When the Prime Minister said that, did you believe the case was prejudiced? Yes. Did you believe at that point the process was already you flawed? Know, I, I, I understand that the opposition has a, has a job to do here, right, and respect them. No, but so when that's it, not but, the opposition. But, 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 but was it a mistake but, for the? That's the what, prime minister no, weighing in on a the case public before the prosecution service the of Canada has has also put out in a statement, and even just most recently, to confirming the independence of that process. So those accusations are false. No, sir. Just. Just for the record, the decision to 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 stay the one charge yes. was done independently. The question that I, in your shoes that people are wanting to know is within the department, the withholding documents, the prime minister's comment, all through the chain of command, was that a, an attempt to cover up, slow down, and destroy Mark Norman? Either by dragging this out to break to bankrupt him beforehand so he couldn't get legal counsel, or to not release cabinet confidential documents. Evan, that is absolutely false. Okay. We, one, we for example, making sure that the documents um, um, have been produced, making right. sure that the independence of the process. Um, right. um, I'm sorry, but right. I completely disagree with that because the best way to respect 
um, uh, uh, Admiral Norman, in this case, we need ways to respect the actual process. Okay. And that's exactly what has happened. Do you regret that this happened? You won't apologize. Do you regret that this happened? I'm, when it comes to, I have a deep respect for everybody who, who serves. Um, uh, uh, Any time somebody has to go through the, through the process, um, uh, it, uh, um, you know, regret that the fact that we uh, that Admiral Norman had to go through the, that regret the fact that the system um, ha had to go through this. And, uh, and but when something like this happens, from my own experience, you have to respect the independence of the process. That's Will the exactly process get better? What though? has happened? Is the process? Does this give you lessons learned? Like one, one, now, do you say, "Gee, this process stinks. You know what we better get a new process." One thing is one thing that um, have, we have a laser, laser focus. Myself, Chief of Defense Staff, and the Deputy Minister is to making sure that we can deliver for the Canadian Armed Forces. We need to make sure that they have the proper resources focused on our people. Um, right now, I visited um, our troops overseas, and I'm proud of the fact that when every time I meet them, I, we can say, now when you deploy, your families know that, uh, that uh, all the international deployments are tax-free. To be able to say thank you to our troops, knowing that they're going to have the right resources, cutting uh, steel on the fourth uh, AOPS ships, that's, I feel, we'll feel proud about that. That's the best way to respect the Canadian Armed, armed Forces, and that's what we're focused on. Uh, sir, I've got to leave it there, Minister. I appreciate you joining us. Thank Great. you. Great. Thank you for having me. All right, coming up, did the government politically interfere in the Norman trial, and should Canada join the United States in a ballistic missile defense program? The leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Scheer, joins us next. Stay right here with Question Period. So five months from the federal election, conservative leader Andrew Scheer is blasting the government over the Mark Norman case, the approach to China, the economy, but the old adage in politics still holds true. You can't just oppose, you've got to propose ideas as well. And Mr. Scheer has just released his foreign policy ideas. One of the most controversial aspects is joining the ballistic missile defense project with the United States. What would that mean? To talk about all that, Joining me now is the leader of the official opposition, Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer. Sir, great to have you back on the program. Let me start with the case against Vice Admiral Mark Norman. The case collapsed. The government have now said they're going to pay all his legal bills and he'll be reinstated to what position we don't know. What do you see went wrong in this case? What questions do you have right now? Well, what we see here is the same playbook that we saw in the SNC-Lavalin scandal where someone stood up to the government, someone stood up to Justin Trudeau, and was punished for that. And in this case, Mark Norman had his uh, career destroyed and his reputation attacked uh, simply for doing what he thought was right for the Canadian Navy and for the Canadian taxpayers. The, the key here is that the evidence that exonerated Mark Norman was evidence that the government possessed. So they've known all along that they haven't had a case, and yet they obstructed the course of this investigation by sitting on that information, preventing it from getting to court, uh, by coaching witnesses, and by using code names within the department to avoid access to information requests. So this is very concerning for Canadians when they see a government abusing the justice system in this way to punish enemies and reward friends. Uh, when you, the prosecution and the defense, though, they did agree that there was no government interference in the case, 
especially in the decision to drop the case. So you keep asking about government interference. So where's the government interference if they say the Office of the Public Prosecutor acted independently? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the key here, and you're right that in the decision to stay the charges, both the defense and the prosecution says that that decision was taken independently. But we have to remember that the other party in this is the government itself, and that's where uh, there were attempts to impede the investigation. So, like I said, sitting on documents, opposing the release of that information to court, not allowing Mark Norman access to his own documents, his own emails, using code names within a department, Evan. Can you imagine government officials trying to avoid access to information laws that are meant to ensure the truth comes out, using code names to avoid those very laws? So the excuse the Liberals are using is that because the prosecutor acted independently, that the system works. But what they're actually saying is that they were prevented from interfering, and so the system works. Well, I don't take much comfort in knowing that the government was trying to obstruct the course of this investigation. Uh, thank goodness the Director of Public Prosecution acted independently, but that's not because of the government, it's despite of their actions. Uh, last question on this. Who's accountable then, Mr. Scheer? Is it the Chief of the Defense Staff, uh, General Vance, who first said, Mark Norman, you've got to go, I'm suspending you? Is it the Defense Minister who was just on the program? Is it the Prime Minister? Who's accountable and what should happen to them? Well, I think the buck, the, the buck stops with Justin Trudeau. This isn't something that happened years ago that's only come to light. This entire process happened under his watch. He was the one that came out and said that Mark Norman would ultimately be charged and face a court proceeding before the RCMP even brought charges. He was the one that knew that his own officials were refusing to provide this evidence to court throughout this process. Uh, remember, the public prosecutor said that it was information evidence provided to the court by the government that ultimately led to the decision to stay these charges. So they've known for two years that they didn't have a case. Why did they wait so long? And what it tells me is that the truth contained in that evidence is more damaging to the Liberal government than the political price of the cover-up and of the delay tactic. That oh. is something that Canadians should be very alarmed about. Should the Chief of the Defence Staff, General Vance, who was given advice on this, should he be forced to resign? Should he be fired? Well, you know, we would like to have these individuals uh, before parliamentary committees to find out what went so wrong here. We've had a highly respected and decorated vice admiral go through the ringer for the sole crime of speaking the truth and trying to do what is right for the Canadian Navy. Uh, so far, we haven't been able to get any of those answers in question period. So we're going to be using parliamentary uh, tools available to us to find out what went so horribly wrong here. And ultimately, uh, we will be making, uh, you know, uh, calls for who should be held responsible once we have all that information. Okay, so calls for that. Let me talk about your foreign policy ideas that you revealed this past week. Stephen Harper, Paul Martin, Justin Trudeau, they all refused to join the United States Ballistic Missile Defense Project. Why do you think Canada should join? Why are you wanting to closely align yourself with Donald Trump's foreign policy? Mm -hmm. Well, look, I, I reject that the uh, the goal here is to uh, have closer alignment with uh, with uh, with the current president of the United States. What I'm talking about is finding ways to strengthen our relationships with our key allies and key partners, allies and partners that have the same 
fundamental commitment to democracy, to human rights, and to, to individual liberty. Uh, the relationship between Canada and the United States goes far beyond uh, the personalities of either our Prime Minister or their President of the day. But when we're looking at the emergence of China in Asia, when we're looking at Russia's continued uh, aggression in, in, in its sphere of influence, we need to ask ourselves how we can participate, how we can strengthen our relationships, because we are going to need stronger friendships and stronger alliances. Would you agree to missile testing ballistic missile testing on Canadian soil and as has been floated in the past what if those missiles had nuclear warheads would you consider having those on Canadian soil so uh, what I announced in my speech was uh, the, the willingness to enter into talks so those are things that all need to be uh, proposed and looked at down the road but what I'm saying in this overall uh, uh, framework of my foreign policy approach is that we need to start looking at these things to strengthen our relationships and so show that we're willing to carry our, our, our share of the burden when it comes to dealing with countries that act against our best interests that act against democratic principles. Well sir I gotta ask you about your promise to reveal your policy on the environment you say it's just weeks or months away. Remember back in June of 2017, you and your entire party, except for one member, voted to support Canada's commitment to the Paris Climate Accord and the same targets of greenhouse gas emission reductions that the Liberals and the Stephen Harper government supported. You supported all that. Uh, will you promise, I won't ask you the details of the plan, but will your plan meet the targets that you voted for? Can we trust that you will hit those targets that you've told me before you will hit? Yeah. And uh, again, Evan, I will tell you that the current Liberal government has no plan to hit those targets, that it's been shown that their carbon tax will not uh, hit the, their own targets. I can tell you that our plan will give Canada the best possible shot. It will work towards uh, reducing uh, our, our greenhouse gas emissions in a way that we have committed to in the past, uh, recognizing our international obligations to do our, our part here in Canada. Okay, well, I don't want you to dodge it. The Liberal, they have a plan to meet it. You're right, they're not on track to meet it. But I just want to ask you, because it's a question of trust are you going to break the promise you made to have a plan that will hit the targets that's all I want to know as a trust issue will your yeah, and plan I, hit and, and will, as I said hit the targets yes or no and as I said our plan will give Canada the best possible chance of doing that our plan will be workable it'll be realistic it'll be a real plan to achieve those reduction targets okay I just I, I just want to know so you're saying you're still committed to hitting the targets that you voted for and your plan. That's important because it's a very big promise issue. I understand, Evan, and I understand there's been a lot of expectation for this environmental plan, and it is coming in just a few weeks, and all will be, it'll all be explained in there in a very comprehensive way. I suspect this will be the most comprehensive policy announcement by an opposition party in Canadian history. Remember, the Liberal environmental plan going into the last election was basically a par paragraph and a half. Uh, this will be a very well-thought-out, well-articulated uh, plan to help to, 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 uh, to, to get to those uh, reduction targets. All right, I got to leave it there. We look forward to seeing that. Mr. Shear, always good to have you on the program. Lots coming up, though. Quebec is in a furious debate over its secularism bill. We'll talk to the Quebec uh, government point person who defends it. But coming up next, the scrum will gather on the Mark Norman trial. Has this case damaged the Liberal government? What's the fallout? Our special guest is former Defence Minister Peter McKay. Stay right here with Question Period. I have an important story to tell that Canadians will want and need to hear. It is my intention 
in the coming days to tell that story. Not to lay blame, but to ensure that we all learn from this experience. Well, the fight is over, but what comes next? The case against Vice Admiral Mark Norman, the second in command of the Canadian military, dissolved after the Crown stayed a charge of breach of trust. Norman was accused, of course, of leaking confidential information about a Navy shipbuilding contract. For two years, his legal team fought to get the federal government to hand over key documents related to the case. Many were never produced. Now, Norman says, there's much more to his story to tell. Was the government actually interfering in the case? What's the fallout from all this? Let's bring in the scrum. Michelle Zilio is a reporter for the Globe and Mail. Tonda McCharles is a senior reporter for the Toronto Star. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator. And our special guest today is the former defense minister, Peter McKay, now a legal partner at Baker McKenzie. Great to see all of you. I got to start with you, Peter McKay. Uh, both you and former Defence Minister, now Premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, have said you've been surprised that during the trial, the Crown, prosecuting Mar they never contacted you. Tell me about that, what happened, and what you might have said. Well, that's right, Evan. We uh, were both rumoured to have been on a, a Crown witness list, uh, but I simply didn't hear from them. I did hear from Marie Hannon and... Uh, uh, Christine Mainville, counsel for Vice Admiral Norman, and I met with them at our offices here in Toronto almost a year ago, and we spoke at length about the procurement process, we spoke about my interactions with Mark Norman, and we spoke a little bit about how the defense was going to uh, present its case. And, and this, I believe, has been a, a massive miscarriage of justice in our justice system for the Department of National Defense and for Canada broadly. This was a, a very dark chapter in the way that Mark Norman was treated. All right. And they, and they never contacted you, which is shocking, Tonda. I mean, the fact that Peter McKay had things to say and talked to the defense a year ago and never to the Crown. What is all... Tell me your takeaway well, in all this. this. Gosh, there's so much, so many layers here to uh, unwrap. The, the fact that the RCMP, when they laid the charge against Mark Norman set out that there was a time period that covered the conservative government's time and power yeah. and supervision of that contract, and then they never interviewed any witnesses from that era, is astonishing. Uh, it smacks of incompetence. I don't care what the RCMP is telling its investigators right now that, Pat, Pat, y'all did a great job. You didn't. Um, it's also astonishing that as of November, when Marie Hennan, after speaking to Jason Kenney and Peter McKay wrote an application to force the government to produce records, laid that all out in her application, that the RCMP and the Crown haven't interviewed any of these witnesses. Hello, hello, red flag, go, go interview them. Right. And that at the end of it all, the defense came up with something. Was it the fact that Peter and Jason were telling everyone, look, you know, this is the way this thing went. They were following cabinet orders. They were do he was doing, implementing a decision of elected officials. How can you charge him for leaking? This is the way that contract worked. The fact that it took the defense to flag that and produce something new. We still don't know what was the anti-smoking gun, if we can call it that. Uh, that's astonishing. Yeah, and, and in the meantime, Craig, mm. there Mark Norman is almost bankrupt, finally gets his legal oh. fees paid for, but, but the defense minister on this program just earlier said, well, I couldn't interfere with the process. What's your take? Yeah, well, he's laying the whole thing on the chief of defense lab, who, who has got a lot to account for. General Vance. Uh, General Vance made some very foolish, uh, inappropriate remarks in the wake of uh, the charging Norman. But look, I, I think there's one thing a lot of people may be missing here, maybe, 
which is Andrew Leslie's role in all of this. Uh, former commander of the Army, yes. very close friend uh, of the principal player here, uh, and a man who knew everything. He had every reason to know what was going on here. I think it was information from him. I think he rocked the Liberal caucus when this loyal member of the Liberal caucus, he'd done a lot for Trudeau, announced that he was going to come out for the defense in this case. Uh, I think he had a lot to say, and I think that may have been more persuasive than anything conservative. he flagged that a year ago. Yeah, he flagged that a year ago to them. Why suddenly, now, this week, after two years of investigating, a year after charging, does it all fall apart? What was in the 60-page memo yeah. that the clerk of the Privy Council wrote to the saw. Prime Minister? Yeah. Why is the Prime Minister getting updated on a criminal trial? Michelle, what's your takeaway in all this? My t I'm looking at this from the political perspective. You know, we're in May. We're heading into the summer. This is pre-election season. The Liberals could not be happier. They don't have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. That they won't have Mr. Warnick on the stand. That they won't have Mr. Leslie on the stand. And that most importantly, they won't have Gerald Butts on the stand. And this uh, this uh, trial was about to go before the courts in August. That would have been right before the election. So that's how I'm seeing all of this. And the questions of political interference, they will be out there until Canadians have all the information presented before. I just don't. I just don't know what to ascribe to incompetence and uh, a paranoia. And what to ascribe to actual conspiracy or political interference. I'm not there yet. I haven't seen hard evidence of that. Okay, so let me but, bring in Peter McKay again. Uh, Peter McKay, accountability. I mean, we're, we're trying to well, get don't, accountability. Don't, where, where's the accountability in this after Mark Norman's dragged over the gravel uh, for two years? Well, the, the only way you're, you're going to account for that keel hauling is to either have an inquiry of some sort or Mark Norman alternatively sues for compensation for what happened to him over the last two years. And add to that list that was previously mentioned Scott Bryson who uh, many attribute much of this uh, at the very beginning um, as an, an attempt to recast a, a contract that was let by the previous government to the Davy Shipyard and then the embarrassment of that breach. It seems to me that there was a great deal of malice and venal attempt to not only punish who the leaker was but to send a message across government that this government wouldn't tolerate that kind of whistleblowing. And so there is a lot of accounting that is yet to be done. And I think there are a lot of people who we should hear from, just as in the SNC-Lavalin case, without restriction, without caveat, without uh, privilege restrictions on what they have to say. I, Otherwise, Evan, my concern is that our Canadian justice system gets another black eye. In addition to the miscarriage for Mark Norman, this is, looks very bad on the prosecution, the police, and the entire system. The one quality about all of this that really strikes me is the pure vindictiveness of it all. Uh, and this is why there is an echo here of Lavelin and Wilson-Raybould. That was all about vindictive too. Uh, furious that they weren't getting their way out of somebody that they felt should just take their orders and shut up. Uh, and it, 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 this is what damages the Liberals so much as they go into the campaign. that. There are echoes of Lavalin. This keeps it going. At some point, they've got to get around to running an election campaign, and they don't seem to be able to get up on their two feet so, and get ready and for it. And part of the problem with both of those is that we are still, and, and Peter's right, the only way to get some of these answers is to have either a full accounting by the players, Mark Norman, Justin Trudeau, General Vance, um, but where are we going to get that? Well, I don't Shear, believe. Shear I don't said believe that he wanted that we... to call. He want committee hearings, and the NDP are saying they want a, a public inquiry. There's six when? Weeks There's left the sitting. Not there. even. Not <laughs> even. There are a few weeks left in the sitting, and 
I, I mean, Peter will probably agree with this. It's really, really hard to uh, bring an abusive process suit against prosecutors. And so how does General Vance sue? Is he going to sue for, you know, a general? No, you mean Vice yeah, Admiral sorry, Norman. Vice Admiral Norman. Yes. How, where does he sue? What does he well, sue I, for? I don't think, well, last he, word I don't think he goes after the prosecution or the police. I think he goes after the government because hmm. let's not forget where this charge originated. It was the Privy Council office, which is the bureaucratic arm of the prime minister's office. Fair point. So Mark Norman, I think, does have uh, a case to be considered. He has very able counsel. And in addition to any compensation, I hope he winds up as the chief of defense staff. There's no uh, disrespect to John Vance, but I think that Mark Norman will now be approaching 40 years of service to this country as a respected and admired uh, representative of the Royal Canadian Navy. He has been an outstanding public servant, and he deserves that top job, in my opinion. Wow, that would be mm. a stunning transformation. I guess one of the lessons also, don't mess with Marie Hennon and her team. Holy uh, smokes, what no. a performance. Peter McKay, thank you very much. Craig, Tana, Michelle, hang on. The scrum will return after a short break. But coming up next is Quebec's controversial bill on secularism, actually a form of discrimination. The Quebec immigration minister will join us next as hearings take place over that bill in Quebec. Stay with Question Period. The religious symbols debate is raging once again in Quebec as public hearings go on about the Quebec government's controversial religious freedoms bill that would ban police officers, teachers, public servants from wearing any sort of religious symbol or clothing. Is it discriminatory? Our opponents argue it is. Will the government either water down or back down from the bill or push it through. To find out, I'm joined now by Quebec's Immigration, Diversity and Inclusive Minister, Simone Jolin-Barrette. Uh, Minister, thank you so much for joining us. Opponents of this bill argue that by telling teachers or police officers they cannot wear any religious symbol that has no bearing on their job, that you are fundamentally discriminating against their religious freedom. What do you say to that? First of all, good morning. Uh, well, that's not true. There is nothing discrimina discriminatory in that bill. We have a clear bill about uh, making the separation between the state and all the religion. And we put all the religion at the same level about the equality of the citizen uh, over the law. So that's really uh, a bill that gives a definition about uh, laicity, about uh, secularism of the state, and uh, we, uh, we wrote in the bill that uh, the, the state is neutral on, on the religious plan. I think for over 10, year, 10 years we talk about that, about the fact that we need to have a clear separation and only some people should not wear religious symbols. So right. we have a moderate bill that will be applied. You've described it as a moderate bill. Here's the problem. The fact that your government has already said you would use the notwithstanding clause uh, to override any charter challenge is seen as a fundamental admission that your government knows this is fundamentally discriminatory. You know it will not hold up to a charter challenge. You've admitted as much by saying that you're going to use the notwithstanding clause. Isn't that isn't that the whole point? You know it tram tramples on rights of minorities, but your government doesn't seem to care. Absolutely not, and uh, that's why. Because, you know, uh, it's not... Uh, the relation between the state and religion should not be decided uh, by the courts, but should be decided about the organization of the society by the member of the National Assembly. 
we uh, were elect about uh, a program and the position of the CAQ government is no since uh, 2013 as we say that we were going to uh, make uh, the Bouchard-Taylor report in, the, in a bill uh, with the adding of the teacher. So that's really important to understand that when you have an important question like that, it's not about the court that shall design and define the relation between religion and state, but it's, 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 uh, it's need to be decided mm -hmm. at the parliament. Okay, you mentioned the Bouchard-Taylor report. Just so to remind people, that's 2008. Those and sociologists and academics did a report on reasonable accommodation. But your government has now said it's drawn inspiration from the bill. Here's the problem. Both Mr. Taylor and Mr. Bouchard now disavow that. They say that your bill is a mistake. They say that you're, it's, it's actually causing division, not unity, and that they don't think this is a good idea. So the very people that inspired your bill are saying this is the wrong idea. They've changed their mind. Why has your government not changed its mind as a consequence? Well, that's not exactly what they say. First of all, uh, if we take uh, Mr. Taylor. Mr. Taylor uh, say he's not agree with himself what, with what he wrote in 2008. Uh, he, can, he can change idea, but one thing for sure that's when he did the, that commission, it's the fact that he, uh, he, he was all over uh, the Quebec, he went in each region, he met a lot of people, and at the time people say to him uh, what are their concerns and what it will be, and he makes some serious recommendations in his report. First of all, he changed idea. For Mrs. Bouchard, what he say uh, here in the in the here in the public hearing this week, the, he say uh, he's not agree with the fact that the teacher uh, are are are, are um, uh, should not wear religious symbol. But on the other uh, officer, uh, he's agree with himself uh, with the report with the report. So I think that uh, it was an inspiration for the bill, and it was not a surprise that we uh, put the teacher and the school principal in the bill, right. because it's the position of the CAQ since 2013. And what is really important but is Minister, the fact that hang on, we you? need uh, to progress on that, on that situation, and that's what we do, because we were on the situation of statu quo since 10 years. But let me push back, Minister. Charles Taylor, one of the authors of the 2008 report, was at the public hearings. I'll read you some of his uh, concerns. I really changed my mind when I saw the consequences of such policies. He said, I made a mistake. Quote, we were very naive. The very fact we were talking about this kind of plan started to stimulate hate incidents, not just in Quebec, but all over. He said, it's a mistake. He was naive. I changed my mind. And he says that your bill is inciting hatred. And by the way, Mr. Bouchard said that this is now your bill is a barrier to employment, which is key to integration. In other words, they're saying what you've done is having the very opposite effects of what they studied back in 2008. They flipped on this, sir. Well, I'm not agree with uh, Mr. Terror, and I say to him, and uh, I'm, I think uh, there's a lot of people that are not agree with Mr. Uh, Taylor because he changed his mind uh, so many times about that. So he has to explain why he changed his mind. And Quebec society is an inclusive society, but uh, the 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 elected people of the of the Quebec nation has the right to decide how will be uh, the the relationship between state and religion. So that's clear that. Uh, 
that's what we are going to do. All right, I got to leave it there. I appreciate your time, Minister Jolin Barrett. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up, should Canada take a harder line on China? And what about a missile defense system that Andrew Scheer is proposing? Is he moving closer to the Trump foreign policy? The Scrum is next with our special guest, former CSIS director Dick Fadden joins us. Stay right here with Question Period. So five months ahead of the federal election, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer is revealing his foreign policy ideas. They include a tougher stance on China, joining the ballistic missile defense program with the United States. Canada's refused to do that for generations. Moving the Canadian embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. It has not escaped notice that all these are closely aligned to Donald Trump's policies. Are these sensible ideas or sucking up to America? Talk about that and lots more. Let's bring back... The Scrum, Michelle Zilio from the Globe and Mail, Tony McCharles from the Toronto Star, Craig Oliver from CTV, and our special guest this round is the former director of Canada's spy agency and the former deputy uh, defense minister, Dick Fadden. Great to have everyone back. Uh, Dick Fadden, let me start with you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what do you make of this, uh, Andrew Shear's foreign policy ideas? Uh, and I'll start with ballistic missile defense. A lot of people don't appreciate what that would actually mean. Is that a, an expensive, complicated thing to join? A full ballistic missile defense system for the Americans would be in the billions. They would expect us to spend hundreds of millions. But I think what Mr. Scheer didn't do was talk about the range of possibilities. I mean, we can have anti-missile batteries in Canada, old expression, all the way to writing a check, to having Aegis radars on our ships, to doing more R&D, to putting more people in, um, in NORAD. Do any of these and still be and still be able to say that we're participating in BMD? But I think to be upfront, the Americans will be looking for a substantial financial contribution, mm -hmm. and this is not you know ten million dollars. This is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And related to this, that I don't think Mr. Shear talked about, was the need to refurbish, recreate, put in a new northern warning system directed totally against Russia. You put all that in a pot, there's a lot of money there. He didn't and talk about costs of any of that whole right. package. Mm. And that package is a big one. Um, but yes, he is aligning himself, in, in his words, with a more traditional ally, the United States and all of this. But right now, that's actually aligning himself with Donald Trump. And how closely he aligns with Donald Trump is going to be a big target for the liberals in the campaign. They are going to say that Sheer is basically too much of a hawk for Canada to, and how is he going to pay for it? They'll say he's got austerity written all over him. In, ter in terms of conservative foreign policy, I think the speech last week was pretty predictable. It was very pro-Israel, pro-military. But we did see, you know, some new ideas on the China front. We're seeing him suggest, you know, taking money away from the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. And But, you know, he has to think about all these policies and what it's going to actually mean for Canadian right. farmers and businesses. So I don't know how groundbreaking this is, but comparing it to how Mr. Trudeau has handled the foreign policy file, especially in recent months, this looked a lot more structured than some of the criticisms the Liberal government has received. Right, well, he didn't have to cost it. He didn't cost it. Um, and this is traditional conservative policy. Cuddle up to the uh, Americans. Strong defense. We've seen that time and time again from, uh, from conservative leaders. Uh, the one thing that's fresh and new and a very serious problem for us is China. And he had nothing really serious to say about what we should do about that. A lot of people are saying now, it's time to get tough with the Chinese. I hear that over and over. And then they, you say to them, and well, tell me how, to, how we're right. going to get tough. Uh, what, are you, what are you naming? And they say, well, uh, let's see. I, let me think about it. 
Well, he but did you, say, Dick, he said, I, I would say no to uh, Huawei joining the next generation of wireless 5G. That's something that you've talked mm -hmm. about. He talked about, as you say, Michelle, not investing, pulling out the $250 million in that uh, Asian infrastructure bank. That's not what, much. What's your sense of all that? But the bottom line is, I cannot think of a single thing that we can do that will hurt the Chinese enough to have them substantively shift their policies. We can irritate them. We may be able to hurt them. But, I mean, we have to be realistic. We're not the United States. And look at the United States, even abstracting Trump for a while. They're having their own problems. Yeah. China is a major power right now, and we're going to have to learn uh, how to live with them. I don't talk about by-elections a lot. We're always wary about reading too much in. But the Green Party doubled the size of their caucus when they won the by-election in Nanaimo, Ladysmith in British Columbia. It was a seat formerly held by an NDP MP, Sheila Malcolmson. She ended up going provincially now. Welcome Paul Manley to the House of Commons just a couple weeks of work for him. Michelle, let me start with you. The Green Party won that for, for what does it mean for Jagmeet Singh? What does it mean for the Liberals? What does it mean for that progressive coalition where these votes are getting parked? I think it means for the NDP that things are really not looking good. One of their leading candidates, Sven Robinson, came out and said, this is a warning, you know, for, for things in October when we're going to head to the polls. And Mr. Trudeau said it himself. This vote demonstrates that Canadians care about the environment. He was almost delivering his own bad news and commenting yeah. that because commenting that because they performed so poorly in that riding. And I think we're going to see a lot of those really young, progressive voters who maybe voted liberal but are very interested in environmental policy start shifting towards the Greens this I, fall. I think what we're really seeing is a collapse of the progressive vote, of the vote of left of center. Uh, increasingly and everywhere we're seeing the Liberals run badly or run last and we're watching Green votes increase. And one of the psychological sides of this is that it looks as if it may no longer be a wasted vote to vote Green. You can achieve something by voting Green. And and if I were the Green leader, I'd be out there saying, if the Liberals form a minority, we'll support them. And in if fact, they live that's with what she's term. saying, isn't she? She's coming out now and saying, you know, you're not throwing away your vote. Right. Vote for Greens. You can get Green MPs in here. And then we'll look at our minority, the various minority government choices right. we'd be willing to support. But I think what we also will see now as a result of the fact that Mr. Manley's been elected, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on Green Party mm. candidates. Mm -hmm. Who are these people? There is so far, you know, a... a does this party tack left? Does it tack right? It used to tack right on economic issues. Liz May's tacking left now yeah. on everything. So uh, I think now you're going to see it's going to become a much more fractured contest electorally. Yeah, Can I just right. throw in the thought, though, that he was elected on Vancouver Island? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Vancouver Island has traditionally been of that ilk, thus Ms. May. Mm -hmm. So I don't read too, too much in it. If it were a, an election of a Green Party member anywhere else in Canada, I'd put more weight on it. There's a lot of Greens liberals, elected in the rest of Canada now. Liberals but not federally. To, liberals expected to win big, and they're expecting to in British Columbia. Yeah. They think they're going to run strong yeah. there. Well, that didn't look good. But That's true. Two, That's true. two names to watch. Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. Yes. Yes. Will they to, go green, And right? in the House of Commons, they're sitting right next yeah, to Yeah, will exactly. they go green? I would say for that by-election, worst news for Jagmeet Singh, because yeah. he was uh, yeah. NDP. Second worst for Justin Trudeau, that vote plummeted. For Andrew Scheer, probably the best news outside of for the Green Party, except it shows the environment is in play for some votes. So we'll find out. Boy, so much going on. Lots. Uh, we got to leave it there, though. Dick Fadden, great to see you. Michelle, Tonda, and Craig, always a pleasure. Put some sunshine in the rain behind us there. Thanks all of you for watching and sharing in the conversation. We will be back here in seven short days. Take good care.